As you may recall, if you were part of the City Church community back in April and May, we had a sermon series titled Teach Us to Pray, which walked through each line of the Lord's Prayer, using the prayer as a model uh, for the types of things that we are to be praying for as followers of Jesus. And so you might be wondering, why are we talking about prayer so much? Well, for today at least, there's a simple answer to that. It's what comes next in our sermon series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But even more so, it is the one means that we have to verbally express our concerns and communicate with our personal, caring Heavenly Father. But prayer isn't natural to us, even as followers of Jesus. When I last taught on prayer, I shared the following motivation that I had read. As breathing is essential to human life, so too is prayer to the life of the church. And it's something that's really stuck with me. Breathing is vital to both our present existence and our perpetual endurance, as is prayer to the church. It seems so simple, right? But when it comes down to it, breathing isn't quite as natural as we think of it, at least not when we are trying to use our breath uh, for performance. If you're a high-anxiety person, then you know that breathing sometimes doesn't come easily. If you're a swimmer, then you know you have to plan strategically your breaths. When our daughter was born, she needed resuscitation before she was able to take her first breaths on her own. And so breathing doesn't always come easily, but yet it is absolutely essential to human life. At times, our prayer life more closely resembles that of a newborn, needing assistance in breathing their first breath than the everyday inhale and exhale that we do subconsciously. And so, we must learn to pray. That being the case, Jesus here provides us with some much-needed guidance and encouragement. We're continuing this morning our sermon series from the Sermon on the Mount. And in our passage for today, Jesus continues his teaching on the acts of righteousness. Um, Last week, Rich taught about generosity, asking the question, what is it that motivates us to give and to serve others? Are we giving and serving out of a love for God and others, or are we doing so for our own self-glorification? And the question is the same this week when it comes to prayer, as Jesus continues to describe a Christian's religious activity. And so having given us instructions on how to give to those in need, in verses 2 and 4 of chapter 6, he now deals with the subject of prayer. We're going to pick things up starting with verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. I'm going to invite you to read this next slide with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to begin with Jesus' instructions in Matthew 6, 1, concerning how we practice these acts of righteousness, as the NIV translates it. When we place our hope and our trust in Jesus as our Savior, we are given his righteousness, and therefore we are to practice that righteousness that we have been given. One of the ways we do so, as we saw last week, is in our generosity or in our acts of service to others. Another way is praying. It's not that prayer makes us righteous, but rather it's an expression of the righteousness that belongs to us through our faith in Jesus. And so Jesus' main concern is with our motivation for practicing prayer. Verse 5 says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. This is the main concern of Jesus throughout his entire discussion regarding the practices of our righteousness in giving and serving, in praying, and as we'll see next week, with fasting. We can do these actions in order to be seen by others. We can do these actions in order to try to strong-arm God into doing what we want him to do. Or we can do it as an act of humility and trust and worship. Notice that it's not simply being seen that is the issue, but it's the reward that they are looking for that is the issue. If I pray in order to be seen, what is the reward that I'm looking for? I want people to be impressed with me. I want people to think well of me, to respect me, to admire me, to approve of me, to think that I've got it all together. Praying with right motives requires that I pay very careful attention to what my motivation is. If you read through verses 1 through 18, it is clear that the natural default motive of humans is to do these actions in order to be seen by others. So if I'm going to pray in order to be seen by God, my Father, then I need to be attentive to, the very, uh, to my heart's motivations. Jesus reveals that like the Pharisees, we may pray for self-glorification. And if so, that is the only reward that we are going to get. It's temporary. It's not long-lasting. It's not eternal. Prayer, if it is to be effective, must aim at gaining God's approval, not the approval of other human beings. Second, we're told that we can pray whenever you want, wherever you want. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Whenever, wherever. Somewhere out there, a millennial is singing Shakira in their heads. I know I did. So some of the Pharisees began to pray. They would pray at the stated hours as as though God was more attentive then. They would pray during their prayer services when they would gather regularly at the temple. And so they therefore prayed to avoid the guilt that they would feel if they didn't pray. Prayer, however doesn't need to be limited to set times or set places. Jesus instructs us, go to your room and close the door. That is to shut out and forget other people as, we are, uh, as well as ourselves, to let go of our own pride. 
we must realize that we, in that moment, are in the presence of God our Father. So does that mean you only pray in your room at home alone? Of course not. That might be what you do, and that's great. You might have an entire room in your house that is, a dedic- that is dedicated to prayer. That's great. Maybe you pray as you're walking around Lake Harriet. Maybe you pray in your car on your way to work. What Jesus is communicating to us is that we are not confined to praying only at set hours of the day and only in front of others here at City Church. This also doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever pray publicly in front of others. There is certainly still a place for the community to gather in prayer together. Again, Jesus' concern here isn't time or place, but rather, what is our motivation? Third, we're told to pray with a purpose. Verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Jesus confronts here one of the easiest errors that we have, uh, that we often make as humans. He says to us, when we pray, don't keep babbling on. I like how Eugene Peterson says this in the message. He says, the world is so full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. The point here is not that God does not want us to pray long prayers or that we should never repeat ourselves. Rather, the focus of this command is the reason why people keep on babbling when they pray. The reason they do this is because they think they will be heard better by God because of their many words. They they think they will sound better to other people because of how long and beautiful their prayers are. God's not listening for the most eloquent speaker to grant their requests because they prayed better than the person across the street. Perhaps that temptation is perplexing to you. But there have been times in my own life where I have thought to myself, man, I better get this prayer right. Not so much as to gain favor with God, but rather to not look like an idiot in front of whoever it was I was trying to impress in the moment. Finally, Jesus tells us to pray knowingly that God knows our needs in advance. God is neither ignorant so that we need to instruct him on our needs, nor hesitant so that we need to persuade him. He's our loving father who knows all about our needs. In verse 8, Jesus says that the reason we should not pray like them is because our Father in heaven knows what we need before we ask him. Like a human parent, God doesn't care for us because of what we do, but because of who we are. We're his children because of what Jesus has done through the work of the Holy Spirit, and so God's affection for us and God's care of us is not based on our own performance, but rather on the nature of our relationship to him. He cares for us and he loves us because he, is his, because he is our father, not because of our prayers. And so we pray because he cares, not in order to persuade him to care. Thus the rest of verse 8 and leading on tells us the purpose, uh, 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 tells us the purpose of what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And it's a prayer that Jesus gives us as a description of what it is that we need as humans. I love how Eugene Peterson writes this prayer in the message. He says, Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. 
Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm not going to go through each petition of the Lord's Prayer this morning. We did an entire sermon series on that, so I would encourage you, um, if you missed that, to, to go back to the website and find that. Um, it's a great um, motivator uh, in um, learning more about how we can be praying and what to be praying for. But the question to ask this morning is, how's your prayer life? Here's some good news. There's very few rules when it comes to prayer. Growing up in youth group and in church um, throughout my life, I was often encouraged to do a 10 and 10 every day. Spend 10 minutes a day reading the Bible, 10 minutes a day in prayer. Seems simple, right? Just put it in your schedule. Stick to it. It'll become routine. It'll become habit. Well, not for this neurodivergent brain. Maybe for some of you, that absolutely works. You thrive with that type of rhythm and consistency, and if that is you, that is great. Keep it up. But if that's not you, that's also okay. It has taken me a long time to realize and to be okay with the fact that that type of approach to prayer doesn't happen for me. This past year, I was encouraged to consider testing for ADHD from one of my healthcare providers. It explains so much about my life. And really, I found that better, having a better understanding of how my brain functions has drastically changed how and when I pray. In the 1600s, there was a kitchen worker who served in a Parisian monastery that we know as Brother Lawrence. Historically, he's remembered for the intimacy he expressed concerning his relationship to God, as recorded in a book of conversations and letters that was compiled after his death called The Practice of the Presence of God. This is what he writes. It is a great delusion to think that the times of prayer ought to differ from other times, that we are as strictly obliged to adhere to God by the action in the time of action as by prayer in its season. We should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him. Reminds me of Paul's motivation to pray without ceasing. And I think this has always been the case for me, although I think I, I never had the language or even the mindfulness to be aware of the fact that the most prayerful moments of my day aren't locked away in a room kneeling with my hands folded and my head bowed. It's in the moments where I'm shoveling out the chicken poop from the coop and laying down fresh bedding. To be fair, it does take me some time to convince myself to actually go outside and do this, but once I do, I find the time oddly peaceful. It's the moments where I'm brushing the burrs out of the coat of our great Pyrenees. Oddly, it's when there's nobody else around and I'm able to unload the dishwasher uninterrupted. It's in some of the most mundane, everyday stuff that I find to be the moments in which I'm able to have some silence and notice the presence of God and spend time talking with God and other times just listening. In just a moment, John DeCosmo is going to come up and he's going to share with us about a time when his perspective on prayer and talking with God had a significant change. But before that, I want to encourage you. 
If prayer is something you find challenging or intimidating, consider this week how you might be able to take a simpler and more doable approach to prayer. Maybe it's finding moments in the mundane tasks of your day, praying in the car on your way to work. Maybe it's trying to establish a consistent routine. Maybe scheduling it in your day is the way that will work best for you. Maybe it's coming to the next evening prayer gathering, the first Sunday of December, or engaging and interacting with the prayer wall once it's installed and ready to go. Maybe it's talking to a friend or a pastor and asking questions about prayer. And if that's you this morning, then I want to invite you to find me or any other of the pastors on staff to talk about prayer, to ask questions. No matter where you're at, whether you do it every day or you find it challenging, I want to encourage you to take a moment and consider. What do I need to do this week to have a good conversation with God? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you do um, desire us to come to you. Lord, we thank you that you um, are with us at all times, that you are always ready to hear from us, your children. And so, God, I do pray um, that you would encourage and instill within each, uh, each and every one of us a desire to be more aware of your presence in our lives, that we might go about our days recognizing um, your goodness, uh, your faithfulness, your mercy, and your love in in the little moments and in the big moments. May you teach us um, how to come to you in prayer, how to converse with you, our Heavenly Father, our Maker, our Redeemer, and Friend. Amen.